Welcome back to the Odd Meyer Changeling by William Ritter, starting on chapter 19. Tin gasped. The muck was still thick over his eyes, but he could feel solid ground beneath him now and fresh air on his skin. He was out of the mire. He remembered splashing and struggling and sinking, but not surfacing. He Had he passed out? His breath came now in hungry, frantic gulps, as though he was afraid the mist might around him might steal the air away again at any moment. To be fair, in the thick of the Oddmire, that was a distinct possibility. He's breathing, Fable's voice yelled from somewhere close by. You're breathing, Tin. Keep doing that. Cole breathed, too. He wasn't even sure how long he had been holding his breath. Had he breathed when Fable was vaulting the hidden steps to reach Tin before he sank? Had he breathed when Candlebeard materialized beside her, the tip of his beard trailing in the grimy water as he hauled Tin up by his ankles? Had he breathed when he was watching the two strange forest people rescue his brother? Cole had frozen when his brother needed him most. The best he had been able to do was to lean out... Of their way, as Candlebeard and Fable hoisted Tin out of the muck and carried him along the secret steps to a flat, soggy island in the middle of the mire. The island was no wider than a kitchen table, but it had room for the sputtering child to lie flat with just enough space left for his three companions to hover. Tin sat up, coughing very wetly and wiping mud out of his eyes. Cole took the the moment to finally look around at the site where Candlebeard had led them. He couldn't tell if the mist had gotten denser here or if his eyes were watering, possibly both. There was no sign of the shore in any direction. He tried to fix his gaze on a tree about ten yards away, but the trunk seemed to bend and twist under the weight of his attention. Anywhere he looked, the swampy surroundings curled and swayed, refusing to stay in focus. For just a moment, Cole was sure he had heard voices crying out from the fog. He could have sworn he heard his mother calling for him, as she had a million times back from the back window. Then, on top of his mother's voice, drifted another, rough and raspy, and then a third, ladylike and courtly and cold. Voices began to bounce around him on all sides, echoing and overlapping, muffled words and shouts and eerie laughter, and behind him them all rose a deep, low growl. "'You hear them, too,' whispered Fable, sliding up to his shoulder. "'Mama says the Oddmire talks to people.' He tries to turn them about. Fable looked around nervously. What are they saying to you? Cole shook his head. He tried to concentrate on the sound of his mother's voice, but now all the voices were weaving in and out like complicated knots, gradually fading to hums and hisses. The mist curled and swirled, a wall of suffocating gray. I don't know, said Cole. The voice that could have been his mother's was melting into nothing, overtaken again by the low buzz and burble of the swamp itself. Nothing, I guess. I just... He let the trail thought the thought trail off. I heard her too, said Tin. Cole turned his, to face his brother, who had pushed himself up to standing. Tin was coated from head to toe in green sludge, but he was steady enough on his feet. Heard who? breathed Fable. Mom, said Cole. The queen, said Tin at the same moment. The twins stared at each other. The queen, said Cole, you think? Tin nodded soberly, and I think she's angry. What queen? 
Pabel asked, her voice still a murmur. The queen, Tin said. The queen of the deep dark, witch of the wild wood, mother of monsters. You really have never heard those stories growing up? Fable shrugged and shook her head. How do you know it was her, said Cole. Tin pursed his lips. Just had a feeling, I guess. How do you even know there is a witch in the wild wood, said Fable, crinkling her nose. You guys keep talking about her, but I've lived here my whole life and I've never met some evil queen who eats people and bites crops. Blights crops. She sounds made up. I don't think she exists. The queen did exist. She was more real, more powerful, and more dangerous than the twins had ever dared to daydream of their motley party. In fact, only one of them truly fathomed the sheer force of nature that was the Witch of the Wild Wood, and that was Candlebeard. Candlebeard had heard her too. He did not offer the children his opinion about the witch, however. He did not tell the children, for instance, that his people had their own stories about the witch. He did not tell them that their title for the witch was neither queen nor mother of anything, but something much stronger that had no translation in any human tongue. Candlebeard did not tell the children that the witch chilled him to his very core. Most of all, he did not tell them that his fear of the witch was the reason he was now running away without them, abandoning the children, helpless and unescorted, in the middle of the misty, murky oddmire. Hey! yelled Cole. The others turned in time to see the trembling hinky punk racing off into the mist. Wait! Come back! Cole and Tin and Fable managed to follow for half a dozen sodden steps before Candlebeard's path became indiscernible. The glow of his candle bobbed farther and farther away until it faded off into the haze completely, and the surface of the mire refused to surrender any more signs of his passing. Wait! Cole wailed once more. Come back! Candlebeard had vanished. Cole put one foot forward and dipped it into the swamp. He, his searching boot found nothing solid beneath the surface. He tried again to the left and to the right but the swamp held fast to its secrets. Cole looked as if he wanted to cry. This is farther than I've ever gotten before, said Fable quietly. It's as far as any of us are going to get, said Tin. The children stayed, rooted to their submerged steps for several long moments, or minutes, or possibly hours, it was impossible to tell in the mists of the Oddmire. A very clever, scientifically-minded man with a lot of shiny telescopes scoping instruments, and a tweed coat with elbow patches had once tried to document the phenomenon of the Oddmire, long before the boys were even born. His goal had been to determine if the madness of the mire actually warped the passage of time or simply the perceptions of the traveler. His results were inconclusive, however, owing to the fact that he was not found until three weeks later, wandering through the cornfields of a town 50 miles to the south, quite naked and mumbling about squirrels. His shiny instruments were found two months after that on the roof of a cow shed, missing several important parts. The children remained rooted to the swampy steps until their legs ached. At last, Cole took a deep breath. He was preparing to swim across the mire toward the nearest shore. At least he was preparing to swim across the mire towards what he guessed might be the nearest shore. 
and Truthy had no idea in which direction the nearest shore might lie, but doing nothing was not something Cole had ever been very good at. Before he could plunge in, a sound echoed across the fetid muck. It was a creaking, groaning sound accompanied by the splash of something moving through the water. A low wave, scarcely more than a ripple, washed over their feet. Tin straightened. What was that? he said. The mist ahead of them parted, as though cut by an enormous knife, each side peeling away from a form, a valley of visibility. Oh, said Feeble. Oh, dang. What, said Cole, what's happening? Trouble, said Fable. The twins stared at the corridor of clarity in, be in bewilderment as drab, grimy roots bubbled to the surface of the odd mire. The slimy stalks knitted themselves together, forming a narrow path all the way to the shore, which Cole and Tin could finally see, lay not, lay not thirty feet away. The glistening gray roots drew to a stop directly in front of Fable. Big, big trouble, she winced, sighed, put a foot gingerly out onto the braided platform. It held her weight. Step by grudging step, she crossed the swamp to the shore. Come on, guys. Cole was the first to follow, hoping nobody noticed that the shoreline was exactly opposite the direction that he had been preparing to swim. The passageway beneath his feet was slick and uneven, and it bobbed up and down with each step, as if the whole swamp was breathing. The motion made Cole's stomach turn, but the, bri the bridge held firm. Tin brought up the rear. Glancing back, he saw the roots behind him sinking into the mire from which they came, and he quickened his pace. When they were nearly to the shore, Cole spotted a figure at last. At first he mistook it for a man, big and burly and covered in a woolly matted furs. As he stepped closer, leaving behind the heady fog of the mist at last, his eyes found focus and stopped dead. Tin threw up, drew up beside him. No way! The bear was exactly as enormous as the boys remembered it. Its teeth were long and its eyes piercing. It stood on its hind feet, towering over them, as steam rose in thick clouds from its flanks in the chilly air, an effect that only served to make the monster even more unnaturally frightening. The bear sneered. Seriously? Tin said. Are you still following us? We didn't even do anything to your cub. Fable began to cross the grass toward the beast. Whoa, what are you doing? said Cole, but the girl continued forward. The bear dropped down as she approached, and then the animal did something neither boy would ever be able to properly describe. There was something of a rearing up motion, or maybe it was a sort of swooping motion, definitely a tossing back motion, and the figure standing before them was suddenly not a bear at all. A hood of thick, dark fur rested on the woman's shoulders. The bearskin cloak continued to billow hot steam. The woman's eyes remained piercing. Cole could not help himself from wondering if her teeth were just as sharp as the bear's. You're, you're her. You're the witch of the wood, aren't you? Tin managed. Feeble glanced at him, startled, and then back at the woman. If you would like, said the witch. The queen of the deep dark, croaked Cole. I've always rather liked that one. The witch smiled. Wait, you're the mother of monsters they've been talking about? Fable asked the woman. I suppose, but isn't every mother? 
Have you met children? And you're also a bear, said Tin. I am as my forest needs me to be. Are you a person that turns into a bear, Cole asked, or a bear that turns into a person? The queen narrowed her eyes at him. That depends, she says, on how you define a person. Can you be other things, asked Tin. You're big, bigger as a bear. Could you be smaller, like a ladybug or something? So that two crafty young boys could catch me and put me in a bottle, I suppose? said the queen, one eyebrow arching up, and not let me out unless I promise to grant them witch- wishes and let them go free. What? No, said Tin. I wasn't thinking anything like that. Um, a shame, she shrugged. It would have been quite clever of you. We haven't got any bottles anyhow, said Cole. I had a dish towel, but I dropped it when, well, when we met you, I guess. Oh, and we really didn't do anything to that cub, by the way, I promise. Except rescue it, said Tin, from the mire. The witch smirked. You three have been having quite the adventure all across my forest, haven't you? She said icingly. But all, like all adventures must, yours has now come to an end. No, said Fable. The witch turned very slowly to face her. Her brow rose a fraction as she fixed the trembling girl with an iron gaze. No. We're on a quest, Fable squeaked. It's important. It is, said Cole. We need to cross the deep dark together. The witch's eyes flashed to him. Please, said Tin. For just a moment, the queen's resolve seemed to soften ever so slightly. Fable seized the moment. They need to, she pressed, and I'm helping them. See, it's like this. One of these boys isn't a boy at all. He's a changeling, and he needs to find the goblins before. What naughty little children need to do, the queen said, cutting her off sharply, her moment of softness whipping away like a snuffed candle, is to stop talking back. She waved her hand, and Tin and Cole felt the air around them grow heavier and heavier, pressing down like a thick-laden bed blanket. Tin's vision dimmed. His knees gave out, and he collapsed on the forest floor. Cole took a half-step toward him before the trees swam around him and the the forest darkened. The last thing the boys could hear before they lost consciousness completely was the sound of measured footsteps and Fable's timid voice. I'm sorry, she whispered. Big, replied the witch. Big trouble. Chapter 20 Cull crested the hill and immediately dropped to his belly against the prickly grass. Annie lowered her head and caught up with him in a crouch. What is it? She whispered. Ah, stay down, he hissed. That's the queenie up there ahead. Queenie? What are you talking? And then Annie saw. She stood up. Ah, you daft woman. I said down, rasped Cull. Annie did not get down. In the clearing ahead, a strange woman stood over her boys. The woman wore a thick a co- cloak of thick, dark furs. Beside her cowered a child Annie did not recognize, a girl, agitated and disheveled, with wild, curly hair. She couldn't make out their words, but her twins were speaking to the woman. Those are my boys, Annie breathed. Now the queen was saying something to the children, but Annie could not hear any voices from atop the craggy hill. 
Abruptly, the woman waved her hand. The air rippled, and tin and coal crumpled to the sodden ground. Those are my boys, Annie repeated numbly. She started forward. Cole pulled at the hem of her skirt, shaking his head, his eyes nervous and pleading. Annie hardly noticed him. Down in the clearing, the queen had turned her attention to the remaining child. The girl looked about the same age as Annie's boys. The horrible woman spoke again and pointed a finger squarely at the girl's chest. The girl spun away, but before her back was to the queen, she had already begun to change. She trembled and doubled over, and then the girl was not a girl at all. She had become an animal, covered in rich, dark fur, just like the woman's cloak. Annie blanched. Was that poor, frightened child fated to become the wicked woman's next garment? A matching shawl, perhaps? The queen turned her attention toward the motionless twins. Annie Burton's fist clenched, her teeth ground, her legs pumped, and the craggy hillside swept beneath her. Those, she growled loudly, are my boys! queen looked up. She blinked. The queen of the deep dark, the witch of the wild wood, mother of monsters, was not expecting Annie Burton. Candlebeard crouched low behind a prickly bush. He chewed on the ends of his mustache as his stomach twisted and tightened. He should not have come back. He should have left long ago. Should have run away with the rest of the hinky punks and never come back to this terrible forest at all. But it was too late for that. At the queen's will, the boys had collapsed to the ground, not twenty feet from where Candlebeard was hiding. He cringed. The, the witch looked away, raising her hand to point to the little forest girl. Big, big trouble, she said. There was a whimper and a muffled pop, and then Candlebeard could not see the girl anymore. He could smell the witchy magic in the air, earthen and very human, but sharp with the power of the other world, too. The boys left, lay lifeless between Candlebeard and the witch. No, not lifeless. He could see their chests rise and fall with shallow breaths. A nervous idea began to pace back and forth in Candlebeard's mind. He shook his head to dislodge it, but the idea continued to march unbidden through his thoughts. The witch turned back to the boys, and Candlebeard saw her face clearly for the first time. He held his breath. He had never been so close to the witch before. He could only hope that she did not see him. He held his hand in front of the candle, willing his own flame to dim. The witch looked about 30 years old, or possibly 65. Not a day old, older than 90. Candlebeard had never been particularly good at judging ages, especially those of short-lived humans who couldn't be bothered to grow proper beards. The woman was pretty enough, he supposed, as humans go. She had hard features and dark, smoky hair, but her expression was cold and forbidding. Her icy gaze rose a fraction to pierce the gloom of the forest, and Candlebeard's heart dropped. Had she heard him? Could he hear his heart pounding even now? See his flame flickering? And then, abruptly, she turned away again. Candlebeard breathed. On the opposite side of the clearing, a human woman was running down the hill towards them. She ran clumsily, not minding her step, her eyes fixed on the queen. The queen cocked her head at the woman's approach. Intrigued, the queen stepped toward her, away from the boys, away from Candlebeard. Every inch of Candlebeard's body shuddered. He could have been with his people right now, he thought miserably. He could have been far away from this terrible forest, never looking back. He had missed his chance back then. He would not miss it now. The nervous idea that had been pacing back and forth in his mind saw its opportunity and clambered hastily down into his feet. 
Candlebeard took a deep breath and crept out from behind the prickly bush. Cole could only watch, mortified. Annie Burton did not fall down the hill exactly. She stumbled, yes, tripping on several rocks and viny plants, but she did not fall. Gravity was no match for Annie Burton's fury, and she would not give it the satisfaction of halting her approach. Above her, Cole clawed at his own cheeks in indecision. There was no reason to join her in this madness. What was she thinking? And what was to be gained? Was wasn't as though the woman had more on the line than Cull. The whole of the goblin horde would wither and die if the changeling never made it through the forest. This was about so much more than two stupid children. Cull let his hands drop to his sides. But it was about two stu stupid children as well. They were the two stupid children Cull had watched over for almost 13 years. They were the stupid children he had protected, weaving goblin charms to keep their rickety tree fort from collapsing to keep the wolves that wandered at the edges of the wolves from prowling too close, to keep the dam upstream from cracking. It was a human-built dam, shoddy even by their standards, and should have burst and flooded the town decades ago. Cull had made the repairs himself. He had watched out for those stupid children. They were his stupid children. At least one of them was. Cull steeled himself, drew himself up to his full four feet and seven inches, and climbed over the ledge after Annie Burton. The queen took slow, measured steps to meet the intruders at the foot of the hill. She suppressed a smile. Directly in front of her, the furious human, Annie Burton, planted on her feet on solid ground at last, her teeth clenched and her fists balled. The little goblin halted, steeled himself several feet behind, looking as resolute as he could, the precious thing. Those are my boys, Annie growled. I heard you the first time. The queen replied lazily, and you are wrong. Annie breathed through her teeth. She looked as if she might throw herself at the witch at any moment. One of the boys is yours, the queen continued. Just one, isn't that right? The other, she eyed Cull. Well, I assume you had something to do with that, didn't you, little thief? Cull blanched. A changeling. It has been a long time, but you came back for it, didn't you? Came back for your lost, wayward monster. She pursed her lips, considering. How unlike a goblin. If I thought it possible for one of your kind to care for a child's life, I might be deceived into believing that he meant something to you. Means everything, Cole croaked. I find that very hard to believe, thief. Unless I suppose you have something to gain from the poor creature's return. Cull did not answer. Quite a lot uh, to gain? Cull's eyes fell. That does explain it. Small wonder that they were fleeing into my forest rather than back to the likes of you. You know, I think they might prefer life in the wild wood, don't you? No, I wouldn't let you turn my boys into animals, Annie Burton said. You can't have them. The queen let a smile spread freely across her face now, equal parts amused and impressed. So bold, she said. My dear, sweet, stupid woman, you really believe you have a say in this, don't you? Annie only glared. They locked eyes, and the witch's smile melted slowly into something softer, a strange spark of tenderness glittering behind her gaze as she appraised the woman. If you really care so much, she said, stiffening, 
Can you even identify your own child? Annie scowled and glanced at Cull. Cull bit his lip. In 13 long years, for all his studying and spying, Cull had never been certain which child was his marvelous changeling and which one was the unmagical human. You can't, can you? You both wish to claim your poor lost children, but you don't even know them, do you? Well, I do. The queen lowered her chin. Hard shadows fell under her brown. I know lost children, and I will make you a deal. If either one of you can guess correctly, if either one of you can claim your true kin, then I will give you back your child. Simple as that. You will be free to leave my forest with him and never look back. Cole brightened. Annie remained less than satisfied. But whichever you choose, the queen finished, the other will be forfeit to me. Candlebeard kept himself low, thanking the uneven ground and the bushes for what scarce cover they provided him as he moved. The witch's back was still turned, and she was talking to the two intruders. Candlebeard plucked a pebble from the ground and tossed it at the nearest slumbering boy. It bounced off Tin's cheek, and his nose twitched. Candlebeard glanced back up at the adults. That is not acceptable, Annie Burton was saying. Don't tell me it's not, said the queen calmly, although Candlebeard could hear the tightness in her voice. Tell your cowering compatriot that. That's the standard bargain, isn't it? One child taken, the other left behind. That's how it works. What do you say, thief? Do you know your own blood well enough to choose? Cull took a hesitant step forward, then faltered, gnawing on his lip. If not choose wrong, then your precious changeling b- belongs to the forest. Cull opened his mouth and then closed it again, his expression visibly pained. That's not very fair. No, agreed the queen pointedly. It's not. Behind the witch, Candlebeard held his breath as he reached a trembling hand out towards the nearest boy. Hinky punks, all, like all manner of fairies and oddlings, like glamour. The magic camouflage with which they hide themselves from mortal eyes. Candlebeard concentrated harder than he could ever remember on maintaining his glamour now. He was confident that he was invisible to the human, and probably to the goblin as well, but it was neither the human nor the goblin he feared. He did not fully understand the Queen of the Deep Dark, and he did not wish to remain in her company long enough to learn more. He shook Cole's shoulder, and the boy only murmured softly in his sleep. Candlebeard felt the blood in his veins turn to ice. He was completely exposed, and he was looking right at him, His, her expression unchanging. Could she see him? And then the human. Annie spoke again. I know. The queen turned back around. Candlebeard breathed. Took everything he had in him not to collapse then and there. You know, the queen said. I've always known, said Annie. The Queen of the Deep Dark turned her eyes to Annie Burton. You're ready to make a guess, then. No, said Annie. Not a guess. A fact. A mother knows her children, and I know my boys, both of them. The Queen raised an eyebrow. Both is not a choice. Of course it's not. Why on earth would I choose? I don't care which one is my blood and which one doesn't. 
I don't care which one I pushed into this world with his father at my side and which one was born far away to some goblin mother and father. Actually, actually there's an egg. Colby and their father not deciding to. I don't care. Those are my boys. And if you tell me that even one of them will be staying in this horrible forest, then you better get very used to me because I'm staying too. And he took another step closer to the witch, refusing to be cowed. I am not, she said, planting her fist on her hips, leaving these woods without them. The queen did not back up. She did not scowl or sneer or snarl. She smiled. Good answer. Annie Burton blinked. Cole lifted his head. Take your children, said the witch. Her face turned toward the sunlight for a moment. She looked almost pleased. Both of them. Annie Burton's lips fell open. Huh? said Cole, a jagged smile across his face. That was a test, wasn't it? And the girl, said Annie Burton. The witch raised an eyebrow. The girl? There was a girl. I saw you turn her into a wild animal. I don't know what she did to wrong you, but no child deserves that. Turn her back. Let me take her home. I can look after her, help her find her family. The witch stared at Annie Burton. Her expression was maddeningly blank. That one you cannot have. Take your children and go. Before I change my mind. Stay on your darling goblin path. Take nothing from my forest and do not stray too near the bramble. Now go. Annie Burton saw two fluffy brown ears poke up from behind a fat log where they had been hiding. Hazel eyes and a wet black nose followed. Fable twitched a furry snout and mewled at the witch. Annie gave the girl a mournful glance before she turned to her boys. Wait, where are they? She said. Only sleeping, said the witch, gesturing behind her. They will. And then she, too, turned to look at the boys. 